Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly O'Horo, and this is Adaptable Behavior Explained. Welcome to our show today. I appreciate you tuning in. This episode will be part of our Counselor Cafe, which is a series where I interview and communicate with counselors about uh, topics and issues that are plaguing society as well as mental health issues. And in today's episode, we're talking about being a new mom, and this is part two. So thanks for tuning in. I have with me Ratna Ganala, who is a therapist here at Infinite Healing and Wellness and friend and awesome new mom. And I have Jamie Castillo, who is the founder of Find Your Shine Therapy in Tempe, Arizona. And she is also an awesome new mom. And so I'm so grateful to have you both here joining us today to, to continue our cop. A conversation about being a new mom and all of the things that we didn't get told before we decided to go into this endeavor. So if you didn't tune in, uh, please watch part one before you review this because it'll make more sense for you. <laughs> so today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about preparing for having baby and what goes into that and what plagues us as we try to get as ready as we can get for this phenomenon that is totally unpredictable and no matter what we read, it doesn't really matter, right? We're just not ready until it's happened. And then I don't think you can really do anything to be fully ready. That's kind of my belief on it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When you said preparation, I'm like, what What even is that? Because, <laughs> yeah, it's when it's a new experience, how can you even be prepared, right? You can read all the books. You can, like, you can do all the things. And it doesn't fully prepare you. Maybe it helps a little, but I don't, I don't know what your experience was like, Jamie, with that. Yeah. I think we had sort of like opposite experiences Mm -hmm. where I had a lot of anxiety during pregnancy because of previous losses and infertility and things like that. And so I remember trying to take one class on like, I think it was on breastfeeding And I just felt so overwhelmed, so overstimulated. I couldn't take in any information. And I sort of wrote off like the idea. I I was like, I'll just do it. I'll just learn by doing. I'll just figure it out as I go because that was so overwhelming to me. Um, and you mentioned that you, you took some of those classes and you still didn't feel really prepared. No, not really. Like maybe I could remember snippets of it, but when you're super, I mean, I'm getting into kind of further on in this process, but when you're super sleep deprived, none of that knowledge stays with you and it is just survival mode. You're just figuring it out. You're trying to grasp things that maybe you've heard or read or whatever, but yeah, you kind of just have to do it. You guys will have had a different experience than me in that there was, we didn't even real. I don't even know that we had a computer. So there wasn't really this robust access to internet information. And if so, it wasn't our common activity on how do we Google something to figure out what do we need to know about this? Because it was so new, you know, my, my youngest is 22 and so I got the book, what to expect when you're expecting so that I could sort of follow through and figure out, you know, what's going to happen and what is he going to grow into and how is it going to be for this part of my pregnancy? But I had, you know, I had three other kids at the time. So I was still working full time, three other kids. There wasn't a lot I could actually do because I was so busy with my current set of responsibilities. But I mean, today there's these apps You know, when my daughters-in-law have had babies, they're like, oh, this is a a leap and you're in this part of the pregnancy. And I'm like, I don't even know what that word is. You know, we we all have coursework on lifespan and development. And I'm like, I don't even know what she's talking about. (laughs) You know, so it was just so interesting how different it is with the access that we have now to different 
you know, things. And then the social media support or not support. Yeah. And, and, it, and all that to what end, right? I don't know how helpful or hurtful it is to be able to Google all of the things, right? Because then I started feeling this pressure of, I've got to do all the research. There's like 500 different kinds of car seats and strollers out there and all the things that you can pick and like this one or that one and this endless information and, and pressure to do it right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, It's really a blessing and a curse because on one hand it's convenient. You have information at your fingertips. And I think for me, it was like my demise. I, I really, (laughs) it it became compulsive really Mm -hmm. to like read everything and it would bring my anxiety down a little bit when I felt like, okay, I have a little bit, but then the anxiety would spike back up about something different. And then I tried to read and I was just spending all my time, like trying to research and read as a way to soothe my own anxiety when Really, it felt like it was helping in the moment, but it actually was creating like this longer term problem. But then your, your menu of choices is greater and greater. So how do you narrow it down? How do you decide what information is good? What information I should listen to? You know, there's a book about, uh, you know, attachment parenting and how co-sleeping is really important. And then there's another book about you're going to kill your baby if you co-sleep. And you're just like, what are you supposed to do? You know, and I came from the era where they were still in the whole cry it out. Let the baby cry it out. So I'm four weeks old, you know, baby's four weeks old after he's delivered. And they're, you know, I'm following the book because of the shoulds. And my, you know, my sister-in-law had read the book and it was, it was all about, you know, they have to learn to self-soothe. And so I'm dealing with all of this shame now because I let him cry it out. Meanwhile, I'm crying. I have to go on a walk. You know, my boobs are leaking because he's crying and I'm doing the right thing. And then later I learn, you know, he's going into dorsal vagal shutdown. He's not gone to sleep. You know, he's so stressed out. And so how do we know what to trust when we're preparing and and how do we know what to listen to? And so what advice do you have for our viewers about how do we pick what's the right information? I think for me, if I were to do it again, And, you know, nobody gets to do it again, so that's not super helpful. But if I were to do it again, I think it would be, you know, taking that information to an end, knowing that your kid isn't going to fit the book. You're not going to fit the book, right? And so I wish I had learned really early on to trust myself and kind of my gut because there is a lot of it at least for me, that started to feel more instinctual, right? Right When I started to like filter out some of the noise. Um, but that didn't happen for me until one of my good friends said, hey, you know, trust yourself. It's okay. Take what you right? like, leave the rest. <laughs> Absolutely. Take what you like, you leave the rest. You can't do it perfect. There's right? no and such thing. And for me being like an overachiever, wanting to do it all right, all of that, I don't think any other experience in my life has tested that part of me in the way that motherhood has. And so being able to slow down and let some of that, let some of that go and know like, Hey, you're doing okay. So I echo what you said. I think tapping into your intuition is huge and it's so hard to do, right? Because you want to get it right. And I had a lot of perfectionism stuff that got kicked up. And I think being therapists too, we're acutely aware of 
the potential impact of making like the wrong choice or like misattuning to your child. And for me, that felt paralyzing. It was like, if I do the wrong thing with sleep in particular, I'm going to damage my child. Um, and it was so black and white. Like I had to make the right choice when really there's no right choice. There's just what feels right for your baby. And one thing my personal therapist told me was you only have to get it right 30% of the time. Wasn't that a relief to hear that? I wish I knew any of that back then. I would have felt way better. I was like, praise (laughs) you. I can't tell you how much I needed that. And I I think of that often. Like, okay, I can get it right 30% of the time. And it's not going to have these enormous implications for my child if I, like, don't let them or, like, let them stay up. A little bit longer because they don't want to go to bed right now or whatever. Well, when you think about flexibility being kind of the pinnacle of mental health, us offering flexibility as we raise our children and being calm and measured as we're okay to be more fluid, Mm -hmm. it does pass on that to our children. Our children then learn, oh, I can go with the flow. I can be more flexible. And so I can really echo what you said because I was trying to do it perfectly as well, as perfect as I could based on the books that I had read, because I was in a little bit of a different scenario, whereas I had um, taken on my husband's first three children and I didn't have them, but I did know that, you know, poor attachment, neglect, abuse, things that were mistreatment of children create long lasting negative present presenting issues and implications to a child. And I was trying to help fix the things that had happened by their biological mom for my older three. And so I was so nervous that I had so much to do right because I see what happens when you do it wrong and it's so painful and helpless. And so I was crazy over-functioning. I was so rigid about schedule and food and this, I mean, it was just insane how I, and, and it felt life threatening because I could see the outcome when it wasn't done in a, in a meaningful, calm way. And so my child, you know, he is, he really, for a lot of his early years, demonstrated total inflexibility. I mean, he, it had to be this way and it was because I needed it to be that way. And so I passed that on to him. I mean, he's since, you know, relaxed in the other direction so much, but but at the beginning I was like, what is going on? Why is he so anxious? Gee, I don't know. (laughs) You know, what have I done? So I think there, you know, we, we tend to do all of these things without knowing the implication. So um, let's talk a little bit about the delivery. Oh, fun. Who wants to go first? Yeah, I feel like I could talk about it for a long time. So let me think about how to talk about it succinctly. Um, So for me, that was another source of just unpreparedness. I was in my head. I'm like, women have babies all the time. We've been doing it for centuries. Like doctors know what they're doing. I'll just wing it. And um, but and and I sort of expect I, I put a lot of trust in the medical community and I, you know, expected that it would just be sort of cut and dry. Um, and I was really lucky to have a great team of nurses and doctors, but things really did get scary during my delivery for both me and my daughter and my husband, unfortunately. Um, he actually said that he had a moment in the delivery room where it occurred to him that it was a possibility that he could go home with the baby and without me, right? Like that I, something bad could happen to me and he could be, you know, with this baby and no wife. Um, and, and that was a reality for a little bit of time. Um, and then you're catapulted into this new role as a mother and the focus is a hundred percent on your baby and you have to simultaneously process what you just went through, which was like 
for me, sort of a near death experience. And it's like, there's no time for that, right? You got to figure out breastfeeding. You got to figure out, you got to log when was their last poop, when have, how many peas have they had in a day, um, how to breast, you know, there's just so much. And so for me, I think trying to figure out that role while also processing what just happened, the gravity of what just happened. Um, I remember my doctor coming in a couple days after the birth and saying, we need you to understand how sick you were. And, and at that point, she told me I needed a blood transfusion. And, um, and and it was like at that moment that it occurred to me like, oh, yeah, I just I had no idea what was going on. Like I had no I was just so out of it. So it was a lot to process. But you're you don't really have time. Like the focus is on the newborn now. Right. Um, so it was a lot and I'm still working through it. I can't say I'm out of the woods yet, but um, it's a lot all at once. <laughs> it really, it really is. Ratna, what was your uh, delivery experience? Was yours, would you say, pretty normal? Um, no, I wouldn't say it was normal. <laughs> um, so I was one of the women, I think it's like a very small percentage where my water actually broke at home. Um, and then, you know, we went to the hospital, I was admitted, all of that. And then I labored for like two days. And I w- we were really trying for, you know, a vaginal delivery because that's what I wanted. And then there just came a decision point. And I remember the doctor saying, like, you guys have this choice to make. Do we want to move forward with a C-section or keep trying? And I was just devastated. And I look back on that moment and, again, just that societal pressure, right, of, like, how it's supposed to be done, right? Or this very cut and dry process and it's not, you know, and all the expectations and it's suddenly being this thing that is is nothing like what you thought it would look like. Um, So, you know, we made the decision to move forward with a C-section because we just wanted it to be while it was still safe and all of that. And I relate to what you're talking about as far as just really being out of it, you know? Initially when I think like when I was in the experience, I thought I recalled a lot of what had happened and I did up until the surgery, but afterwards, everything feels like such a blur when I look back on it now, because there's just so much going on and we normalize that experience so much as a society. And it's such a huge trauma. It's traumatic for sure. For sure. For, and, and our yeah. babies feel the traumatic experience and it's part of what informs how they come into the world with a sense of safety or danger. And people totally minimize that experience. I mean, they really, really do. So, but everything turned out okay with your C-section? Everything and- turned out okay with my C-section, fortunately. Um, but yeah, it just, it still shocks me how much we normalize that experience of childbirth because yes, so many women do it all of the time. Right. And it's well, and so all in other countries and third world countries, so oh many women die and so many babies yeah. die because it is such a, it's a, it's an extreme medical experience. And fortunately, you know, here we have so much that we can utilize. And I know some women opt to not, you know, have babies in hospitals and things like that. Um, but I'm thankful I went to a hospital cause I have to say that, you know, I delivered a week late and I mean, he's nine pounds, one and a half ounces. I'm, you know, 
thinking about episode one, dealing with all of those side effects and symptoms of being pregnant. I mean, I was real ready for him to get the heck out of my body. And I would talk to him all the time. Like it's time, bro. Like we got to be doing this now. I cannot anymore. And so I go a week late and I was told by the OBGYN, you know, that baby is small. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, there's no way that baby is over seven pounds. And I'm just like, you have to, I have to, this has to be done. Like I can't swallow. I can't breathe. I'm, you know, water is making me throw up. It's crazy. There's no room left. And so she goes, well, you can just start walking and maybe that'll kick in, uh, you know, um, the process of having the baby. So my mom and my husband went in shifts and I would not stop walking. I just walked to the neighborhood circle, circle. And finally I started contracting and, um, I was like, Oh, it worked. It worked. I was ready to get this, get this going. And, um, I went to the hospital cause it had been like the three minutes and for a while. And I thought, okay, maybe it's time. Maybe I, I got this going, you know, my stubborn self won this game here and I get there and, and then they stopped. But what ended up being a good thing was because I was there, they were able to see that his heart rate, um, had changed and it was low and they were like, uh Oh, so they had to induce me. So they gave me Pitocin and, you know, I wanted to do it naturally. Um, but I was on Pitocin for like three days walking in the hospital, trying to get this thing moving again. It was so crazy. So I'm in the hospital. I think my labor technically went five days. They ended up having to do that uh, vaginal cytotech to get me to open because I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I couldn't open. It wasn't, I wasn't dilating. And so finally, like day five, you know, my water broke and I'm like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. And finally, you know, it was able to happen, but, but not unlike you, perhaps I go to deliver and I end up totally bleeding out. And my doctor who was very minimizing of things that were dramatic and thought I was so dramatic she called everybody in because I'm bleeding out. And, and of course you're delivering and I'm, I'm so sorry. I've blushed, you know, I've gushed blood all over everyone in the place and I'm apologizing for splattering them. Like, you know, it's talk about codependent, <laughs> you know, I'm like going to die and you know, they're shooting me with all these things to start clotting or whatever they're doing. But <clears throat> same thing, you know, there, there was a reality of, wow. And they, I mean, they, they didn't throw my son, but they like tossed him off to my mom. Like she's the first person who hold him because they were trying to make sure I didn't bleed to death. So, you know, like you say that my husband had that same reality of he could have gone home with a baby and not me. Um, you know, and then of course I sort of had a little positive thing when she weighed him and everything was under control. And they said nine pounds, one and a half ounces. And she goes, can you do that again? I I don't know about that. And sure enough. And I looked at her and I was like, I told you he was huge (laughs) and he was ready, you know, to get out of here, but he was not trying to get out. So I, I, I really uh, empathize with people who've had scary experiences and they could have gone in just such traumatic ways. And I think there's so much grief too. in in the, the difference between what you expected or what you wanted and the reality um, I know for me, I had an experience similar to you, but it was, you know, leading up to the pregnancy and the birth, we had so many losses. And I remember I, 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 I told my mom on the way to the hospital to be induced, like, I'm still not convinced I'm going to come home with a baby. Um, because I just, you know, I couldn't let myself feel hope after all of that. But I had this moment of like, okay, when I see her, right? Like when they lay her on my chest, like that's going to be everything. It's going to make all the, you know, years of losses and fertility treatments and all this stuff worth it. And I had built that up so much. Like it would be like the finale, right? Like she's here and it's everything. And I remember they, they 
put her on my chest for two seconds. She had to be whisked away to the nursery for, to get care, but they, they laid her on me and I just felt nothing. Wow. And I remember being so out of my body and so detached and so sick. I didn't realize how sick I was. I had an infection and it was, um, and, and I, there's so much grief in like, how did I have my baby put on my chest and look in her eyes and feel numb. It's just so different. Because you almost died just now. Yeah. And, and, there, and there's some shock involved mode. there. And so it's it's countering that shame with the reality of, you know, you were in survival mode to, to move through that. It's just, and so minimized by people, you know, but your baby's beautiful and healthy. And so the sympathy comes through and like, you're so lucky that, and at least this. And so I think there's that, that we need to make sure we normalize. So thank you so much for tuning in. We know this topic sort of ended a bit heavy for those of us who had challenging deliveries. And if that is the case for you, we'd love to hear about your story in the comments below and show up for you and help you to move through some of the the traumatic experiences you may have had. But in addition, if that's not enough, please make sure you reach out to a, a qualified EMDR trauma therapist so that you can move past this once and for all. Uh, as it is over, if you're listening to this podcast and you made it through and we want your body to catch up with that truth and, um, and the actuality and get your body to match what your head knows. And so please utilize uh, some of our other resources in the podcast channel, uh, as well as make sure that you take care of yourself. If this was an overwhelming episode, uh, again, we thank you for tuning in and make sure to lead with love. It'll never steer you wrong.